This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of the hour, Steve Mayer stops by, the chief content officer. What a great title, by the way, of the uh, NHL stops by. We'll talk about the skills competition later on this week in Toronto. And by the way, that's why it's quiet. That's why there's 23 teams on their break right now. It is All-Star Week, so only one game on the board this evening. Watch it on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Pre-game at 6.30 Eastern. Puck drops just after 7. It is the Ottawa Senators and the Nashville Predators. Uh, one of those 23 teams on break right now are the New York Rangers. Vince Mercogliano is who we turn to when we want to talk about the New York Rangers. Rangers reporter for USA Today and Lohud.com. He joins me now. Vince, how are you today, pal? Pretty good, Jeff. Just uh, getting ready for a, a rare week where I don't have to go anywhere. Yeah, I know. You can start to plant some roots a little bit. Well, you know, one of the things that I wanted to mention to you, and I'll, I'll do this right off the top. I just want to get this out of the way. Um, here's why I love Rangers fans. So if I'm in any way remotely critical of the New York Rangers, they're all over me. And then whenever I say anything complimentary about the New York Rangers, either here or the podcast or Twitter X, wherever, I get the avalanche of, this team is deeply flawed. You don't know what you're talking about. Why don't you watch a game for a change, Merrick? Why don't you open your eyeballs? Why don't you clean your windshield, Merrick? It is a (laughs) no-win proposition when you mention the New York Rangers. And as someone, you know, as I get older, Vince, as someone who appreciates grumpy people, the older I get, I really appreciate Rangers fans. Their default setting is to be upset with everything always. Can you explain this phenomenon? They're a fickle bunch, aren't they? Uh, we like to call them passionate. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with passionate. Uh, yes, yes, I have yes. dealt. I have dealt with this for for five years now. This is my <laughs> fifth year on the beat, and uh, I'll say this: that the team itself this year has given them a lot of really up and down, high highs and low low emotions, True. and so I think that that plays yeah. into it. But yeah, I mean, they certainly have been through a lot of ups and downs with this team in recent years. And the level of expectations has gone from a period with the rebuild where it was like they were pretty accepting of a team that they knew wasn't really going to be in the hunt for a few years. But I think the last couple of years, the bar has certainly been raised. And now you have a group of fans that I think is looking at the team much more critically. And again, if you look at this season, they were riding so high for those first couple of months. 18-4-1 was the start that they got off to. For, there was a point there where they had the best points percentage in the league. They had a couple wins over the Boston Bruins, which looked like their top competition in the Eastern Conference. They were just rolling. I mean, clicking in such a way that I think all of us were taken aback a little bit because we felt like, Last year, a lot of these flaws were exposed, and that was the reason they were ousted in the first round against the Devils. But it seems so early, like things really clicked with Peter Laviolette. I believe you and I spoke about this last time, where it just it felt like, wow, yeah. maybe they figured this out. Maybe they have the right coach in here who's going to get them to play a little more structured, a little more disciplined, and having that defensive structure in place is going to allow them to open up the skill and the offense and make everything click. But now what we've seen... really for almost two months now, is a team that's been pretty mediocre, very inconsistent. If you go back to early December, December 5th is kind of the cutoff that we keep looking at. They're 12-12-2 in that span. So they basically won 12 out of 26 games in close to two months now. And it just seems like now a lot of those flaws that we thought maybe they shook out of their system early in the year – they're coming back with a vengeance, whether it's trouble defending against the rush, whether it's the inconsistency of, of the five-on-five offense and really being a one-line team in a lot of regards that way. The goaltending has been a, a really jarring thing because we've been so used to, through all the previous flaws, Igor Shosturkin was the guy that bailed them out, and now that has not been the case recently. So there's been a lot of cracks in the armor recently, and I think that is causing the mm-hmm. unrest that you're feeling from the fan base. Do you think that there is a trade that solves all of that? Do you think there's like I, I, I mean, outside of a trade, I'm not sure what what, what could. Um, but do you think that there's some sort of magical trade that's out there? I want to get to the Filipino situation in a couple of seconds here, but you know, listen, it's not exactly a secret that you know General Manager Chris Drury is out there, you know, beating the bushes looking for something. Um, we wonder about uh, Sean Monahan with the Montreal Canadiens. 
and maybe does the uh, management structure of the Montreal Canadiens uh, make that a more difficult trade than if it were with another team? We don't know. Um, but is there a magical trade out there that can cure the woes of the Rangers right now? Or, or do you look at this, Vince, and say, they're not as good as the start, but they're not as bad as this? I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle, to your point there. As far as the trade... Listen, they need a center. That, that I think, even before they had clarity on the Heedle situation was going to be a focus, and now absolutely. You look at their, their bottom six, specifically their third line. It's been a black hole offensively for a couple months now. They just let go of Nick Benino, who had kind of been their third-line center for a while but was clearly yeah. out of place in that role. So I think getting a center is definitely a priority. You, you, you mentioned Moynihan from, uh, from Montreal. I've checked in on this a little bit. I actually talked to a source probably about an hour before I talked to you. And that seems like a long shot in my estimation. I think there's reasons that it would make sense, but the, 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 the uh, maybe bad blood you would call it between the front offices, I was told that it doesn't rule out the possibility of them making a trade, but that the Rangers, to be able to get it done with Montreal, the belief is that they would have to pay a premium. And I don't know if they're going to be willing to overextend themselves. Like I don't think they're going to be willing to give up a first-round pick for that type of player. I mean, is there a guy out there who would solve everything for them? Elias Lindholm from Calgary, I mean, as far as the center market, the Rangers are looking for a guy who can do a little bit of everything. They want a guy who can definitely help them offensively and make them much less of a one-line team at five-on-five, but they also want a guy who's going to commit to defense and be able to play that playoff style of hockey, and he would check those boxes for sure. So if you're looking for a a guy who would do everything, that's the guy. And I I do believe that the Rangers are going to be aggressive at the trade deadline. The, The chatter among fans is, well, they haven't been playing well, so maybe you shouldn't be giving up assets to go out and try to be aggressive. But that is not the history that we've seen the last couple of years with Chris Jury. He's been very, very aggressive at the trade deadline. And you look at the yeah. core of this team, whether it's Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, Truba, Trocek, these are all guys that are under contract and 30 or over 30 years old. Their window to win is now. This is not a wait-and-see approach I think you're going to see from the Rangers. So I believe that they're going to be aggressive. I don't know if Lindholm is going to be the guy. I think it could more likely maybe end up being multiple moves. Center, they could definitely use a right wing. But but I do believe that you're going to see Chris Drury be aggressive. And the last name I would mention, Adam Henrique from the Anaheim Ducks, is a name that I've heard a little buzz around as far as the Rangers potentially being interested. Much like Lindholm, I think there's about five or six teams we're all trying to to marry Adam Henrique to as well. Like it seems as if you know this 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 center position, and there's a lot of teams that are looking for it. You mentioned the Boston Bruins a couple of moments ago, and you wonder there um, uh, what uh, uh, what the Bruins will end up doing here. I think Adam Henrique and and Lindholm are Exhibit A and and Exhibit B. Um, here here here's one thing that I, I wanted to get into um, before before we run out of time. I want to make sure we get this in. And I never thought I'd be saying this here on, you know, January 29th, just before 1 o'clock Eastern. Where would this team be without Jonathan Quick? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. They would not be in a great spot, that's for sure. He has been, in my mind, probably the most pleasant surprise for this team so far. Because think about where he was when he yeah. came to New York over the summer. His career was kind of on life support. He even told me in a conversation yeah. a couple months ago that his last four or five seasons in L.A. were really a big disappointment for him. You look at his save percentage in those last three, four seasons. I mean, clearly this was a guy on the decline, and I think there were legitimate questions about mm-hmm. how much did he have left in the tank when he came to New York. But this guy has been a godsend for the Rangers at a time when Igor is – Clearly struggling, clearly, I think, in his own head. His save percentage, he's going to the All-Star game, but his save percentage is 899. I mean, this is such a far cry. We never thought he was going to be able to repeat the 935 that he put up during that Vesna winning season, but this is such a far cry from what we've known with him. And he's been so consistent for them, the, the, the guy that bails them out when they've had other problems. And, and now that he's not doing that, I mean, you could look at this stretch where they've been basically playing 500 hockey and say, well, if Igor was the yeah. Igor of old, you know, maybe their record would look a lot better right now. So having quick, uh, they're still not playing him a ton. It's still basically like once a week, but having him in, in that steady backup role has been really important for them. 
See that that to me makes the whole make, makes his performance that much more dramatic and profound. It's not as if he's you know getting into any type of rhythm. And we always hear about you know goalies need to feel the puck a lot. Goalies need to get in in games a lot. Goalies need to to really feel it. Like the the idea of the and this might be as as close to a traditional you know backup situation as we have. Um, but the traditional backup netminder always had the hardest job because you'd sit on the bench for a week or two weeks and then get out there and be expected to you know keep your team in a game. You know, the fact that he's not getting in there all the time and when he does get in there, he's remarkable. That just makes it all the more impressive here, Vince. Yeah, and don't discredit, don't discredit the impact of Benoit Allaire, the longtime goalie coach for, for the Rangers. Obviously, we heard Henrik Lundqvist shout him out in his Hall of Fame speech. He was a major influence on the success that Lundqvist had when he was here. And talking to Quick, Quick has loved working with him. And he said he's really helped him kind of get back to the basics and simplify yeah. And he, he gives that a lot of credit for the success that he's having this season. How many conversations, just speaking of Benoit there, you know, uh, Kevin Woodley from InGoal loves having this one. How many times have you had a conversation about why is Benoit Allaire, considering what he has done and meant to goaltending, going back to Patrick Waugh, how come he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I can't answer that, but I, I would say that he is deserving based on the, the track record that he's had yep. in his long time with the Rangers, for sure. Even look at some of the backups during the Lundqvist era that then got developed and went on to become starters in other places. Whether can't it's tell Talbot, Georgiev, you, know, you can go down the list, but there's a lot of guys who backed up Lundqvist who all of a sudden were yep. uh, upgraded in how they were viewed around the league because of their time with Allaire. Uh, okay, let me, let me finish up on this one here. Um, What's going through Drury's mind right now? So the Rangers are on the it's 23 teams on their break right now, all with various you know degrees of decision making here. Some teams is pretty clear uh, the direction that they're going to go, and everyone's sort of lining up to get past All Star, and then it's full steam ahead to trade deadline, and then end of the season we're off to the playoffs. Here we go. Um, what's the conversation internally with the Rangers? Uh, the Philip Hedl injury, uh, just awful. And, and reading his comments on social media, you really feel for the guy. Um, you know, perhaps you may look at the Rangers as you intimated before. Certainly, they're always they've always been looking for one more center. Maybe now they're looking for two uh, centers. But what's the what's the conversation that Drury is having internally right now? Well, yeah, I mean, on the Heedle thing, I can just tell you everybody is, is devastated. He's he's such a, you know, you say this about a lot of guys, but he really yeah. is a hardworking, good kid. We gave him the good guy award last year from the media just because, you know, he's been such like a, a, a vocal presence for the team, even at a young age. You know, his English has gotten so much better. He, he's really, you know, you really feel for him, and that, that has been at the forefront of everybody's mind. But knowing now that he is out for the remainder of the season gives jury some important clarity because now we know going toward the deadline, a, you definitely need at least one center and B we know what the salary cap situation is because had he come back, had they activated him from LTIR, the Rangers would have been looking at at the moment he's activated less than a million dollars of cap space. Maybe by the time the deadline came around a million or so, but a very limited wiggle room as far as what they could afford to take on, in salary. Now you look at cap friendly, which I did a little while ago, Rangers are up over $5.2 million expected in trade deadline cap space. So now all of a sudden he's got some flexibility. Now all of a sudden I think he can be more aggressive, not just with the assets he's willing to give up, but how much salary he can take back. And I think that's going to open some possibilities. And again, I think you're going to see probably multiple moves. I think they're pretty comfortable with where they are defensively. There have been some struggles with some of their key defensemen, but they have faith in a lot of those guys, I don't think they're looking to move any of them out of the lineup right now. I think you're going to look, they're going to look right. to add probably two forwards. I would say a center and a right winger, maybe two centers, because if you get two centers, you can always move someone else to wing. And I think sure. three areas they're looking to improve on. A, they want to get more consistent scoring at five on five. B, they want to tighten up defensively, especially, you know, some of those hard areas of the ice. Like when you talk about playoff hockey, whether it's having an aggressive forecheck, whether it's getting to the net front, clearing their own net front, they, they want to bring, I think, a little more of, of that, you know, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. gritty element. And the third thing is team speed. That was the reason they let Benino go. They felt like they, they got exposed yeah. in some games against some of the faster teams in the league. That was an issue against the Devils last year in the playoffs as well. And I think they're going to want to add a speed element as well. So they're going to be looking for players who could check a few of those boxes. Okay, so I got about 60 left for this, and I'm curious about sacred cows, whether it's draft picks, whether it's prospects, whether it's Brennan Othman. Um, What will Drury not include in any deal to get what he needs? What's sacred out there for him? 
I can tell you organizationally they have always prioritized keeping prospects. They're much more willing to surrender draft picks. And you can look at Drury's history. Every trade deadline, it's always been draft picks going the other way, very rarely prospects. So I don't think you're going to see someone like Offman traded. I mean, some of the lower-level prospects, I think they'd be open to that. But I think traditionally what we've seen him do is is deal draft picks. And I think for the right move, I don't think for you know a a low-level bottom six center he's going to give up a first-round pick. But for a guy who he feels like is really going to impact the roster, I think he would be willing to discuss his first-round pick. And I think almost everything would be on the table. He's probably not going to subtract from the current NHL roster, but I think, you know, other than Ackman, they would probably discuss almost any prospect. And I definitely think the draft picks will all be on the table. Mm. Always an interesting time in New York. Uh, Vince, thanks as always, pal. Uh, You always park a lot of time for us here. Much, much appreciated. You be well. Enjoy your little break uh, as well. Put your feet up. You've earned it. I'm writing right now, but once I'm done with the story, hopefully I'll take a day or two here. <laughs> take some time for yourself. A little mental health break. You can do it. It's okay. Hockey's coming back. Hockey will still be there. Uh, thanks, Vince. You're the best, pal. We'll talk soon. There he is. Vince uh, Mercogliano writes for the New York Rangers for USA Today. Also read him at uh, aloha.com as well. It is a curious time for the New York Rangers. We shall see where things head that direction. But as I've always maintained about New York, it is always, and I know the haters are going to come out on this one, but listen to me on this one. It's always a better league when the New York Rangers are competitive. Whether you're a player in the NHL and and you're very concerned about your escrow, you want the big market teams to go as far as possible, case in point, New York Rangers, and I think it's really important for the NHL in the playoffs to have teams that people, as much as some love them, are also equally despised. And the Maple Leafs fall under that moniker in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Uh, Vancouver Canucks do as well, and certainly the New York Rangers do as well. I throw Philly in that mix as well. Uh, okay, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Matt Marchese is off today. So in the meantime, here is my nickel and dime Matt Marchese impression. <clears throat> Puck line, Predators minus one and a half. Nashville has hit the under in seven straight games. How am I doing? The Predators are four and one in their last five games against Ottawa, and the total has gone under in five straight games between these two teams. It is the lone game on the board tonight. As I mentioned, it's All-Star Week, so you're not going to get a lot of NHL games, folks. Sorry, but all attention on this one. Uh, you can watch it on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. It is the Preds and the Ottawa Senators. Sens coming off a dreadful loss against the Rangers on Saturday. Started out fantastic. Started out great. A couple of goals up. And then the whole thing caves in. And that entire game seemed to really go south for Ottawa on that Chris Kreider goal. You know, goalie coaches always talk about one that you'd like to have back. That was top of the list for Jonas Corposalo, but that wasn't the only one. Uh, and we all know where the Sens are. Interesting report from Elliot on the weekend as well. The Ottawa Senators perhaps being interested in Chris Tandev. That would be a long-term play, by the way. That would be a trade with a look to sign Chris Tandev as they're looking for key hockey veterans. And if you're Chris Tandev, you want to be on a competitive team, either right now or soon. And make no mistake about it, Ottawa's wheeling around next year next year and trying to go for it. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program, Hour 2. We'll bring with it in a couple of moments Steve Mayer. Uh, bottom of the hour, Brian Ray will stop by. Bally Sports Southwest Dallas Stars host slash analyst. Let me get on the Dallas Stars page. You know, the um, first of all, fascinating team, always. I know they don't get a lot of publicity. And uh, maybe you don't watch as many Dallas Stars games as I do, but that's always been destination for me. I really like watching that team. And I'll tell you, that Central Division, uh, first of all, up top it is a dogfight. And maybe that's the uh, the one division where you don't want to finish anywhere but first. 
Um, I know some teams like towards the end of the season to take the, you know, take the foot off the gas a little bit. You know, playoffs are coming up. But I look at that race between those three teams, the Colorado Avalanche, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Dallas Stars, and say to myself, and none of these teams will admit this publicly, I should add, I don't think either of these teams want to face each other in the opening round. Getting first place in the Central Division this year is the greatest treat and the greatest gift. Like, if you're Colorado, you don't want to face Winnipeg or Dallas. If you're Dallas, you don't want to face Colorado or Winnipeg. And if you win a peg, you don't want to face one of those other teams in the first round. Maybe face them later on, that's fine, but not in the opening round. I think as a fan, the two, three that we might be looking forward to the most is the Central uh, because those are going to be dynamic games. But if you are those squads, finishing first is so crucial for you. So you can draw one of the wild card teams and stay away from the other two. Um, you know, it's interesting. We talked at the beginning of the season how a lot of balance of power had shifted from the Central, which used to be the murderer's row of teams. It was an absolute gauntlet uh, of teams to go through. And you switch over to the Pacific Division and listen, Vancouver is so legit, it's not even funny. You know, that's uh, we, we've gone long past the idea that, oh, look, the Winnipeg, the, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are on this win streak and isn't that cute? And they've started off the season great, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a team that's loading up for a long playoff run. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, still the defending Stanley Cup champions. I know at times uh, they look like they've had, you know, a little bit of a Stanley Cup hangover. It didn't happen right away, though. Uh, but they've hit some, you know, various speed wobbles themselves. Uh, the Oilers are frightening. That story is an easy one to tell uh, with the rip that they're on, uh, rivaling history right now. Um, but it is interesting. It's almost as if the Central Division, and a lot of this is fueled by the resurgent Winnipeg Jets, are saying, hey, don't forget about us, that this is a really good division here. Um, and don't look now, too, but also... The St. Louis Blues have entered the chat and have entered the discussion as well. So we'll talk to Brian about this coming up at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, someone who I imagine has the coolest job in all of hockey. He is the chief content officer for the NHL. He is our friend Steve Mayer, and he joins me now. Steve, how are you today? Hello, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. Thank you so much for uh, parking time. I know this is a very, very busy week uh, and one that has like a lot of moving pieces to it. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. I mean, I can everyone in Toronto is certainly excited about this. And I wanted to focus specifically with you uh, on the skills competition. And listen, you and I have talked many times. So there is one big sort of Merrick question coming. So brace yourself accordingly. Um the, the genesis of this year's version of the skills competition, um, if you could take us sort of, you know, from the root to the fruit, where did the discussions begin? I know Connor McDavid uh, was part of it. Like, where did all of this, like, does it start when you're, you know, flying home from, from Florida last year at the end of the All-Star weekend? Like, when does it begin for you? How did, the, how did this all come together? I, I guess it starts with when when guys like you and others and everybody listen immediately have comments um and we listened to those comments after last year's florida event um we heard from our broadcast partners we heard from our fans we heard from the players you know not not that the, what we were doing was, wasn't great it was just like how do we make this better how do we make it a little different we had gone through a, a bunch of years as you know um, you know, same old, same old. Oh, we changed it up a bit by going outside with the events in Vegas and in Florida, and those got pretty cool responses. But we were like, all right, what, what do we do that's that's different, that'll be fun, that'll be compelling, easy to follow for the fans? And we also were focused on what could we do on television and in the arena. Um, and, and so we started ideating um, – really responded well and believe me the commissioner was involved others like you know the end game was probably where we started meaning let's find a competition that will award one greatest skilled player in the nhl and then work backwards from there and figure out how we're going to get there what what will be the prize and and how would it be easy to follow so it happened pretty immediately. I, I think we we talked about it even on site. Like, hey, we we should be looking at this. I got in rooms early on, 
involved players, involved others that, you know, we find to, to really have great ideas and, and be responsive. And, you know, we've ended up to where we're at and thank you for your introduction to me. It is one of the coolest jobs in the world and in the, one of the coolest jobs in hockey. <laughs> I'm happy that we got to this point. Like this is when it's really Jeff, this is, this is it. You know, we're only a few days away and the anticipation of what is it going to be and will we be able to pull it off and will everybody like it? Those are, those are the things that we're thinking about now. And we also are thinking about every minute, like how, how do we tweak it? Like, is there something we could do a little better? We won't be done until it's over, uh, but it, it, it's fun. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. We think we've got a pretty good idea. Here's why I like this skills format. And and by the way, it's uh, 12 players, eight events, million dollars on the line here for that player. When I first saw it or heard that this is what the NHL was going to do with the skills competition, uh, I said to myself, this is how I always have discussions about who is the greatest hockey player of all time. And the way that I've always thought about it or discussed it, you know, it'll be like you have a conversation. Okay, so who is a better player, Wayne Gretzky or Mary Lemieux? Just take that for example. I would always say, okay, well, give me, you know, two goaltenders, call them, you know, the constant K, put them in net, and then give me five Mary Lemieux, line them up at all five positions and do the same for Gretzky's and think about and consider what goes into a hockey player and skating and shooting and vision and toughness and like all these types of things, passing, like all of those things that go into a hockey player, consider that for all those players and their skill sets, drop the puck, who wins the game? So when I saw this format, I thought to myself, that's how I've been talking about judging the best hockey players of all time. You go or against how, or you do Beliveau against, I don't know, uh, Gretzky or whomever, or take your pick. I've been doing this all along in my own head, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. I guess this is a long-winded way of, of asking, why did it take so long? I never dawned on me to do this for a skills competition. Why do you think it took so long for all of us to finally go, oh, yeah, maybe we should be doing it this way? Well, listen, what we were doing was 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 excellent in, in its own way, you know, taking each of those individual events and giving all our players, remember every single player participated, a showcase to do something different. And it, every year we we changed one event, two events, we went outside. We, we always were evolving the event, trying to make it better, um, but we never really did ultimately consider this, this, this event where you, you have that one winner at the end. And to your point, you know, we all talk about that when we look at athletes, like you, you take a piece of each guy and that would be the ultimate player, the, you know, the perfect player. And yep. as we both, uh, you know, even the Gretzky's, nobody was perfect and nobody was the, that ultimate player. And that's where the having the player input here really helped, um, mm-hmm. whether it was Connor McDavid or the NHL PA you know, talking about like, what are those aspects to make that most well-rounded player? And, and you'll see what we're, what we're doing on Friday. It's, it's their short disposable events. They're really easy to follow. And they do highlight each of these skills. And one of the other things, which has been slightly overlooked, the first six events, we are telling or asking the players to pick four out of six. So we are playing to yep. their strengths. We are, and and again, as we go from event to event, for a fan, it'll be very simple to follow the leaderboard, and you need points to advance. So, you know, we're eliminating four going into a essentially a shootout event, which is event number seven, and then the obstacle course, which will combine all of what we've done at the end into the finale. Um, but, you know, hey, why did it take so long? I, I, I don't really have the answer to that, but we're happy – that we got to this point well, he, because I think we've got something that might last a long time if it is as successful as we think it's going to be. You see, I, I think it will. And, and I maybe my, my question was phrased wrong. Here, here's what I was getting at. Has this ever been discussed before? 
Like right now, now that it's out there and this is the way that it's going to be, and I think we're all in our minds are wondering, okay, and, and, and trying to think like, okay, what is this going to look like? What is it going to feel like? You know, and what's going to happen to that player? And all of a sudden, do they carry like the the NHL, you know, uh, wrestling belt for the year? You know, they're the, they're the skills champion, et cetera. I'm not sure what you have planned for that. But um, I'm just curious, like, has this format ever been discussed before, considering, to your point and to my little preamble about how I evaluate hockey players or versus Howe versus Beliveau versus Richard versus Gretzky, has it ever been proposed before? Uh, no, not as far. Not, well, potentially before I arrived at the league, but we, we haven't. No, I laugh. I, I, I laugh inside because... Uh, there's been a few people that have come to me saying we should hand out a WWE belt to the winner. Yes, um, and we're not. Yes. We're, we're actually not going to do that. But we may reconsider. We may reconsider based on this conversation. We still have a few days, as I said. We're always tweaking until the final, until the end. Yeah. Uh, no, we haven't talked about it. Listen, we felt we liked our skills competition. We thought it was. It was compelling. We we like the changes that we've made in the last few years. So, I mean, this was just a you know a time and a place to 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 change. We're in Toronto. This is a city that loves the game, and we wanted to do something a little different here. Um, but you know, uh, I, I'm happy that we're we're at this place. Um, and and I, again, you know, the response has been really good. Like, there's so many times, as we all know, you, you know. Everybody is a critic. Everybody has an opinion, and that's fine. And and believe me, we listen. Um, yeah. But in this case, I, I think the response has been overwhelmingly positive. And I'll tell you the other thing, Jeff. The players that are participating are so into this. Like, they are They're trying to get as much information as they can. They want to understand every little inch of, all right, do I have to go here? What am I passing? What am I doing? They want to know every single beat of this, and they're really into it. Now, there is a million dollars on the line. I get it. But just that alone, yeah. I, I see how engaged they are. And then and then think about it. You know, we're trying to put stars. You know, we're trying, we, we have the great young players. We have all these players that are, you know, talked about day in and day out. And you can have 12 of the, the top players in the NHL all out there, all at the same time, all talking to each other, mm-hmm. all competing against each other. That's the other thing. Like, I really believe when these guys get on the ice, that the, their spirit, their their competitive spirit will go to a whole nother level here. And they're going to compete really hard. And that's another thing we're bringing back into skills is that desire to actually win and, and go really hard. And I think you'll see that. And from the response we're getting from the players, you know, they're into it. You know, there's one, and and here comes, uh, I, I'm almost anticipating the eyeball rule. I get it from Elliot all the time, Steve. No, Maybe I'll get know, it from you. No, no, um, I love here, your ideas. Here's, 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 <laughs> okay, so here's here's the the one that I, the, the drum. You probably heard me do this before. The one drum that I've been banging to to satisfy a curiosity that eh, maybe it's a, a minority of the hockey audience has, but nonetheless, it is a, it is a very distinctive skill that um, that hockey players have, and that is backward skating. And I've always wondered who is the fastest backwards skater in the NHL. Like I had always wondered about PK Subban. Man, could he accelerate backwards? Phenomenal. I look at Jonas Brodin of the Minnesota Wild. Maybe the only player who could go stride for stride backwards with Connor McDavid as he skates forward. But the thing is, I don't know. Like, and I've always felt about skills is it answers a question, obviously, who has the hardest shot, who is the fastest skater. And I've always wondered, maybe you have, maybe anyone in the office have had the, has had the conversation, who is the fastest skater going backwards? Has there been much conversation about that skill for skills? So it's interesting. You asked the question before, have we talked about this format before? I will tell you, and potentially based on how many times you've asked me, like, why don't we have that as part of the event? Because we we have brought it up. <laughs> we have no, we have talked about backward yeah. skating. And this year, and this year, even with what we were doing, you know, a level of backward skating, like where we where would we incorporate? Would we do a its own event? Um, you'll see some backward skating actually in the stick handling event, which we find mm-hmm. um that we wanted to incorporate because it, it is an element of skill. 
that you know that definitely is a characteristic when you're trying to come up with who is the most skilled we didn't go with a full event but you know listen this event too will evolve you know i love it and mm -hmm. i think it's going to be i think it's going to be really good i but i also think okay we're going to learn this year to do something next year and do we add more players do we add more skill like we're we're going to keep an open mind and and backwards skating could eventually and we'll call it you know the jeff marrick backwards skating event oh, when geez. we eventually do, do it. <laughs> it will be your you will be your event now listen we 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 think it's a skill that has to be looked at and and we have a, a slight element not fastest but a backwards skill skating element in one of the events this year I love it. Okay, let me uh, let me end on this one because I, I in the in the setup I said, listen, Steve Mayer has the coolest job in the NHL, and a lot of it is, um, and you have a lot to draw from. You've been in the industry for a long time in TV production uh, for a long time as well, and you know part of your job is to come up with ideas or curate ideas, massage ideas, change ideas. You know the idea that uh, you know greatness borrows but genius steals. You know take something from the past and bring it up into in, in, into uh, into today um i wondered about one thing going back to florida last year and by the way i was one of those people that and i still am one of these people like like the philosophy of i'm not sure if people are going to like it but let's try it just in case let's not focus group our lives to death let's try things you know we saw that spirit in the late 60s early 70s and all of a sudden music was popping and uh, and, and films were amazing etc anyway um so i i like the spirit of trying new things specifically last year in florida but i wonder steve mayor how close were you to doing something with alligators last year we, we were really close I, we were very close. Uh, we we went uh, we we went a few made a few trips and went out to the Everglades and we 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 were close. We we ended up shutting it down for a few reasons. Um, I don't want to get into yep. the specifics, but I I, yep. I will say that we spent a fair amount of time you know, hovering in boats that were surrounded by alligators and going to an <laughs> island. It took us to an island at one yeah. point where we couldn't an event where alligators kind of just came up on the, it was, it was definitely a consideration. And again, it goes back, like, listen, I, you know, for every event we do, there are 15 events that we didn't do, you know, same thing for every outdoor game we announced, we probably have gone to 15 stadiums to look at them, to figure out, you know, would this work? When will it work? You know, we're, we're, you have to, in what we all do, you have to explore all opportunities. To your point, like sometimes you have the idea you got to go, and then sometimes you hear, like, what if this could work? What if backward skating could work? You yeah. want to experiment. You know, you want to see as far as you can go, and then ultimately you hold, sure. you make a decision that, all right, this is the best for for this moment, but you keep an open mind, and then you always like have that thing in the back of your head that you could go back to. But um, yeah, alligators, mm -hmm. we were, we were, we were close. A lot of the rumors <laughs> were true, but it, ultimately we didn't go there. We didn't go there. Uh, I can only imagine. Uh, and you're the guy to pull it off. Steve, listen, I, I know how busy this week is for you and, and your staff and the entire NHL. And there's still some games to get through before everybody gets to Toronto, et cetera. Uh, had my fingers crossed you'd be available. Uh, really appreciate you parking some time today. Again, I know it's a, a challenging time. Thanks, as always, for doing this, Steve. I appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for the support. I, you know, we're here. Everybody, uh, like, we love when we get to town and, and everybody's talking about the event that we're about to do. And this place in Toronto, my goodness! I mean, yeah. from the time we walked off the plane, so it's it's cool. I, it feels it feels like it's going to be a great week. Wrestling belt, Steve. Wrestling belt. Come on, you can do it. NHL wrestling belt. We can do this. There's still time. There's All right. There he is. Steve Mayer is the uh, chief content officer for the NHL. And here, here's the thing that um, that I like about Steve specifically. There's never a hard no 
from Steve Mayer. And listen, when you have the title of content officer, I think that you have to have a position where or a mindset where there's not going to be a lot of no's. You're not, there's not going to be a lot of, oh, that's a ridiculous idea. I think there's a lot of with Steve, well, how would that work? Or talk me through this. Or where could this lead? Can this idea turn into something else? And the reason I asked the alligator question with, uh, with Steve for the, um, for the all-star skills last year, there was, <laughs> it was funny too, um, there, was, uh, there was the belief that they wanted to do something with alligators and shooting uh, as they called them, frozen meat pucks, uh, two alligators in the Everglades as part of the All-Star Skills competition last year. And when I mentioned that, I can't remember whether it was here or on the 32 Thoughts podcast, uh, someone in the NHL sent back, uh, quote, frozen meat pucks, question mark, or as they're normally called, burgers, dummy. Anyway, you try to dress these things up. Anyhow, the thing that I like about Steve is, and he has a background in television production, uh, music, like entertainment. Steve is a uh, someone that's been out the door and around the block um, for a lot of different events and in a lot of different areas, and he brings all that expertise to the NHL. And a lot of the creative ideas, um, you know, are are either Steve's or certainly from uh, his staff and people around him. Like, I don't think that Steve Mayer works in a vacuum whatsoever. It's not like he's in there, you know, in his with like an evil scientist in his lab coming up with these ideas. A lot of these things, and he'll be the first to mention this as well, are collaborative efforts um, and, you know, leans on the brain trust that's around him. Um, and this one, I think, is... Like, honestly, when I first heard the idea of this is how they were going to do the skills and they were going to ultimately crown a single champion as just opposed to Elias Pedersen has the hardest shot and Dylan Larkin's the fastest skater, etc. Just come up with one champion that combines all the skills. Again, if you if you didn't hear it earlier, this is kind of the way that I've always had the discussion about who's the greatest hockey player of all time. And the first way that I heard this described was from my, uh, my former colleague, Bill Waters. Uh, Billy and I did a radio show in Toronto for a number of years, Leafs Lunch. And I do believe that this was also, someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong here. I believe this was also Terry O'Reilly's. Uh, I don't know if he was the, the first one that came up with it, but I know that Terry O'Reilly talked like this. Uh, when coming up with the idea of who is the greatest hockey player of all time. And if you're not familiar with the way to discuss it, this has always been the way that I've looked at player versus player. You take everything that goes into what makes a great hockey player, and that is, you know, skating, shooting, passing, vision, toughness, like all of the things that you feel go into making a great hockey player, leadership, all the intangibles, all those types of things. That goes into what goes into making a great player. And then you pick your players. So you may take Marc Messier versus Gordie Howe, and you dress five Messiers at the five positions, two goaltenders of equal value, K, and then five, um, uh, five Gordie Howes. And drop the puck. And imagine, imagine in your mind what happens in that game. Based on the criteria that you've already laid out, all the skills that go into making that hockey player. And it starts to become at least a little bit more clear as to who the quote-unquote greatest is of all time. Now, we all know there's not ultimately one answer to all of it, but nonetheless, it is an interesting thought exercise and one that I've done player versus player for a number of years, thanks to uh, my former colleague, Bill Waters, the great Bill Waters. So when I saw that they were going to do fastest skater, hardest shots, the handling, one-timers, passing, accuracy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to crown an inevitable single champion, that's where my brain went. And if you do it the same way that I do, that's probably where your brain went. And that's why I really like this format. I really do. Uh, I can't lie to you. I like it a lot better than the individual, just hardest shot who's got the hardest shot. Okay, scurry off the ice. Now we're going to get to the skating. I like crowning an ultimate champion, and we shall see uh, if they end up presenting a wrestling-style belt for the winner at the end or some type of trophy that can reside at the Hockey Hall of Fame and gets dragged out every year to crown another 
champion. We shall see. Uh, nonetheless, skills competition is something very much looking forward to. And yeah, a million bucks on the line. That's uh, not exactly uh, tipping money, whether you're in the NHL or otherwise. Uh, take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I'll talk to Brian Ray. We'll uh, analyze the Dallas Stars at the break here, whether it's uh, what does Jim Nill do next? What's the future of Matt Deshane? And of all the divisions in the NHL, is the Central the one where it really is in your best interests to finish first. Otherwise, it's danger. Winnipeg, Colorado, Dallas, all in that mix. Nobody wants to face anybody else in the first round, despite what they may say publicly. Brian Ray joins us here in a couple of moments. Uh, Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Thanks to Steve Merrick for stopping by. That was a lot of fun. And wherever you get your podcasts, Merrick Show back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so maybe I've been overselling it a little bit, but I really feel that way. Nobody in the Central Division wants to finish anywhere but first. The idea of playing Dallas, Winnipeg, Colorado in the first round? Yeah, no thanks. I'll take a pass. Brian Ray joins me now uh, from the Dallas Stars broadcast crew. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. Good to talk to you, man. Yeah, good to catch up as always. And I've been sort of positioning this all show long. And I've, you know, we all watch the Dallas Stars and the Avalanche and the Winnipeg Jets. And the recurring thought that I always come back to is, I guess every team wants to say, yeah, first place means a lot to us and blah, 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 reward for all of our hard work, et cetera. But, I mean, there are dire consequences to whoever finishes second and third in the Central. And although teams will you know, never admit it publicly, um, Brian, nobody in the Central wants to finish anywhere but first, true or false. Oh, I think it's true. Any Every team wants to win their division. I, I think it's absolutely true. Although the thing I, I do like that I think has been fun this year in, in the league overall is, okay, if you finish first in the Central, well, then which wild card team are you getting? Like, Is Edmonton going to make this huge surge all the way to the top of the Pacific, or is it going to be mm-hmm. is somebody from Edmonton or Vegas or L.A. going to have one little slow patch and they drop down to that first wild card? Like, like you're – your, your path of least resistance is probably to, to win your division. But the way the West has been this year, I think you're just going to be getting some serious uppercuts from whatever team you're facing on the other side of the ice in that first <laughs> round. Uh, just given wh- okay. whichever whichever way the Pacific falls. So, I, I don't know. It's kind of like, do, which kick in the shins do you want, I think is the question you're asking. <laughs> I, I suppose, but I just I just look at these three teams and I say like I don't want any part of either of the like any of these three teams. But okay, let's 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 take this little thought experiment one step further. Let's say <laughs> the uh, the Dallas Stars don't finish first in the Central. Who do they match up better against, Winnipeg or Colorado? So they've won both of their matchups with Winnipeg this year, and both of them were in Winnipeg. But we're also talking about games that would have occurred in October or November or December. Yeah. So is there much you can really glean from that when you get to April and May? And and vice versa, they've had the Colorado Avalanche on the ropes at times. And then whether you want to say Dallas let them up off the mat or Colorado flexed those yeah. top-line muscles and they pulled themselves off the mat, it's the same thing. How much do you take from that game in December compared to April or May. And we're still going to learn a lot because Dallas still has two games in Colorado, which I think can really offer some light on on that matchup. And they do get Winnipeg at home twice. And Winnipeg looks like they're starting to get a little bit healthier now that they have Connor back. And, and of course, there's always going to be the the Rick bonus bowl whenever Dallas and and Winnipeg hook up. So there's, there's still a couple of chapters in that novel that I think that need to be read and we still need to learn from. But if, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say I'd probably roll the dice and, and try the Winnipeg Jets. But I, you know, I, there's a reason that they have the inside track in terms of points percentage right now. It, it, I go back to your original thought. Like, yeah. wh- 
What kick in the shins? Do you want to go to the DMV or do you want to go to the dentist's office? <laughs> Put your head back. Here comes the drill. It's the opening round of the playoffs yeah. here out of the Dallas Stars opponent. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, the, the Rick Bonus factor in all this is is certainly intriguing. And, listen, Rick Bonus is very much in consideration for the coach of the year. There's a, there's a handful of, uh, and probably more, really, when you drill right down to it. But Rick Bonus is right up around there. I'm, I'm curious here. Um, when you look at... You know, this Dallas Stars team, because bonus is not that far removed from this Dallas Stars team. You know, who do you think received the most benefit from how Rick coached the team? Like, you know, Rick took over in a very controversial way, as we all understand. We all know with Jim Montgomery and and the way that he exited the organization and was put in a very, very difficult position. Um, But we saw this team play differently. We saw... I remember watching Tyler Sagan on the power play and going like, he never goes to that position. But under Rick Bonus, there was Tyler Sagan. <laughs> Who do you think benefited the most from Rick Bonus's time as head coach with Dallas? I'm gonna I'm gonna steer your question on a slightly different avenue, and I, okay. I go back to when Pete when Pete DeBoer came in and was introduced as the new head coach, and and he reiterated numerous times, you know. Um, there was a defensive structure and mindset put into place by Rick bonus. And that's who Rick bonus is that that's what he does. Um, but Peter DeBoer's entire project was how can I get more offensively out of this group without sacrificing the structure that was put in place by the previous regime. It wasn't like Peter DeBoer inherited necessarily a, a toy that was severely broken and had to be torn down and rebuilt. It just needed to be tweaked a little bit. So I I think you you look at players like Rope Hintz and how he's become a 200-foot forward, or Jason Robertson, who obviously has had offensively dynamic seasons, but certainly respects and recognizes the importance of the back half of the ice. I, I think overall the organization had a defensive mindset that was locked in. You can even compare it similar to to when Ken Hitchcock came in after Lindy Ruff, you know, you had a team that was go, 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 go. And then they brought in Ken Hitchcock to try and settle things down on the back end. It's almost a reverse of that where Dallas might've been too settled in on their own zone. um, And Peter DeBoer needed to loosen that leash a little bit. And you know, your your original question, who benefited the most? Probably Jake Ottinger, because what goaltender doesn't benefit from a defensive structure like that in front of them? (laughs) Yeah. You know, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Lindy Ruff there a second ago. Uh, I love that. Just if we can get a little historical here, but I love that Dallas Stars team. Like there was, there was, there was that one season with, with Ruff coaching the Stars and Bruce Boudreaux coaching the Washington Capitals and both teams were wide open. And you know what this league is like, whatever is successful one year, everybody tries to do the same thing the following season and all I could think to be myself was I really want to see a Washington Capitals Dallas Star final because then everybody will try to play that way and Dallas was so much fun and Washington was so much I didn't get my wish and you know no one got their dream from from those two teams but man that that version of the Dallas Stars was was, was a lot of fun to watch um, as is this edition of the Dallas Stars and the one player that I want to drill down on with you here and this is not a slight at Joe Pavelski, who's going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Man, Wyatt, jo- Wyatt, Wyatt Johnson looks really good on that top line, doesn't he, Brian? Well, it, it's not a slight at Joe Pavelski, but it, I think the way that Mr. Miyagi is so enthralled with Danielson's success, I think Joe Pavelski is certainly going to be <laughs> enthralled with the success of Wyatt Johnston. Yeah, I was, I was having a conversation yeah. with somebody about when, when they put Johnston up on that top line with, with Hintz and Robertson and why he was so successful, first of all, he's a good hockey player and, he, and he's a smart hockey player. But the, the one person on the Stars roster who knows how to play with Hintz and Robertson successfully happens to be the landlord of Wyatt Johnston and because he's been living with Joe Pavelski yep. for the last year and a half. So you cannot tell me that there has not been some knowledge through osmosis, through conversation that Wyatt Johnston has picked up on how to read plays, on how to read situations, on how to play with Robertson and Hintz, and how to make that engine go. So it's 
it, it was not surprising to me. I, I think it's absolutely not a coincidence that Wyatt Johnston living with Joe Pavelski and carrying that on has, uh, has continued. And, and I, there's a, for me, there's, I actually think there's more similarities with Wyatt Johnston and Joe Pavelski's style of play when, when you get past the cover. He's not a net front deflection guy the way Pavelski is, and mm-hmm. he's probably a, a better skater than Pavelski is. But in terms of his, his hands, his stick skill, his hand-eye coordination, he's not a ferocious forechecker per se, but if you're not paying attention, he will absolutely stick lift and puck jack you with in the blink of an eye, like, like there's little subtle plays like that, that he's doing in his first two years. And I've always, I've always wondered if Peter DeBoer ever looks at video and just goes Pavelski, that's a Pavelski impact, or that's a Pavelski influence on uh, on Wyatt Johnson. I, I do think there's been some, uh, some transcendence there for one to the other. Uh, let, let me ask you about Pete DeBoer. You know, one of the things that has always jumped out at me about him is how he manages his bench. And, you know, just doing a quick little scan here, you know, once again, I always sort of check in on on ice times with uh, with, with Pete DeBoer, well, with, with, with all coaches. And I, generally what I find is, you know, the, the, the coaches that distribute ice time as evenly as possible, there's always going to be lines that get more ice time. We understand that in power play and penalty killer, certainly a factor here too. Um, they tend to do the best. And I look at Pete DeBoer teams, and there's always a consistent here. And it is, none of the forwards are in single digits. Everybody is in double digits. It's not as if, you know, the big line gets all the minutes and the second line gets, you know, just a a shade lighter and that all comes out at the other end where the fourth line, you look and it's like, okay, six minutes here and five minutes there and six and a half there and that's your your fourth line. All the minutes are in the double digits for the forwards. That is a Pete DeBoer trademark and that continues with the Dallas Stars. There's no real, uh, honestly, Brian, there's no question attached to that one. Just do you have a thought on the coaching style of Peter DeBoer? Yeah, well, hearing you talk about that, it's, first of all, how many coaches say, you know, the old cliche now is is roll four lines. You know, you want to be moving in waves of attack and, and Pete DeBoer is no different than that. But I think adding Craig Smith and adding Sam Steele in the off season and the cap crunch and the cap squeeze that everybody's dealing with probably offered them the luxury of being able to do that, but it made Dallas's fourth line better. And I think Craig Smith and Sam Steele gave that fourth line some offensive teeth as opposed to previous years when, you know, Luke Glendening is a penalty kill face-off guy. Raddick Fox is a penalty kill face-off guy. Yoel Kivaranta was kind of a 13th forward penalty kill guy. There was not a lot of danger threat coming from that fourth line. Now things have shifted around in that bottom six a little bit with Wyatt Johnston moving up to the top line. But once Peter DeBoer got a couple of assets that had a little more uh, teeth to their play offensively, I think that opens his playbook even further to roll four lines or to, to leave a line out there in certain situations as opposed to swinging back and trying to put the top line back out there, putting the Duchesne line back out there. And, you know, now Sam Steele is, is centering essentially Jamie Benn and Joe Pavelski. He's not centering that fourth line anymore. But because of the success of those fourth line guys through the first 40 games of the season, it gave Peter DeBoer, I think, a little flexibility to tinker and experiment a little bit in the bottom six. And so, yeah, he's a coach that truly can roll all four lines and balance those minutes a little bit further because they're giving him a reason to. Nobody's, nobody's, uh, nobody's turned into a black hole at all in the, uh, in the bottom part of the forward group. Yeah. You mentioned Matt Deshane there. Let me drill down a little bit on him. Um, this has worked out yeah. great. You know, Mr. Thousand Games. Like he's this. This really has been a home run uh, for Jim Nill and the Dallas Stars. Yeah. He's on an expiring contract. Um, how do I, I know that there's certainly an appetite to make it work uh, from Dallas's point of view. I, I know that you know term for someone at the age of 33 is a tricky conversation. Nill has done it before. Um, we think of, you know, Tyler Sagan and, and Jamie Benn's uh, contract specifically. Um, but how does, like, how do you see Matt Deshane and, and this scenario playing out knowing that this is, this, this fit is hand to glove and has been from the very get go since Matt Deshane pulled the green over his shoulders. Sure. Well, let, let, let me preface this by saying this is, 
Uh, you, you, you're asking me to speculate a little bit how this could work out. And so that's, that's what this is. It's just yeah. pure speculation. But what I've learned from Matt Duchesne in chatting with him a little bit, when he signed with Nashville and, and went there, he was interested in coming to Dallas and Dallas was a team that he had his eye on, but the calf mathematics just simply mm-hmm. didn't work out. So he ended up going to Nashville. Um, him and his family, they love living in the Southern United States. They, they, they love the culture down here. They love the experience. I mean, I'm sure they love the weather. Um, and, and being able to come to Dallas this year was sort of, uh, uh, a, a heck of a consolation prize after he was bought out by Nashville, which caught him off guard initially. And then, he, you know, mentioning after that, that 1000th game celebration, he had his son out there in warm up scoring the last goal, his son, when he played his actual thousandth game in December, Oh, it was awesome. But when he played the actual 1000th game in Washington in December, his son read the, the lineup and he just said little moments like those were, have been some of his best experiences as, as an NHL player that, that, that he's had down here in Dallas. So I do think for Matthew Shane, there is a personal experience going on right now in Dallas that has been really, really good for him and his family. And I'm, I personally, I'm a big believer in the cliche. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Um, yeah. So I, I think it comes down to what exactly is Matt Duchesne looking for and whether it's, Money, whether it's term, whether it's peace of mind, whether it's cost of living, whether it's place of living, there's all those different factors that the player and the family have to consider. Mm-hmm. And there's also those factors that the organization has to consider. So I've, I've said to colleagues down here, I think there is an avenue somewhere where Matt Duchesne and the Dallas Stars can continue this relationship after this year. Uh, the cap and the mathematics will come into play a little bit. The stars have some RFAs that will be due for some raises. Thomas Harley is one of them with the season he's had. Um, the cap is going up. There are a couple of UFAs. So there, there is a lot that needs to be work at, worked out, but I don't think this is something that necessarily needs to be ruled out. I think there could be an avenue here, but I also wouldn't be surprised if both parties said, let's just get done with this season and see where things lie right now. Like this team is in a great spot. Why, why bring in any extracurricular activity right now? Let me, uh, let me finish up on, on, on this one. Um, I was having a conversation a while ago with someone and we were talking about the heart trophy and we were talking about MVP and, you know, I throw out the, the list of, of, of usual suspects. This is someone uh, who works with, with a, with a, with an NHL team. And he said, yeah, those are all great names, but you know who the real MVP is in the NHL this year? And I said, who? He said, the real MVP in the NHL this year is the goaltender who's on a million-dollar deal who can get you <laughs> I heard this episode of the podcast that, with you and Fridge. Yeah, yeah, that is the real MVP. And there were names like Anthony Stolarz uh, that were thrown yeah. around, and also Scott Wedgwood. What is he oh, yeah. meant to this team this year? Because I look at it and listen, Ottinger is a story and he's the goaltender, period. But Wedgwood's been a great story for Dallas. So my my favorite fun factoid that I've learned about Scott Wedgwood uh, this year is this is the first season in his NHL career he did not start living in a hotel room. He finally started an NHL season in a in an actual house, which which I think for a, a lot of goaltenders on million dollar contracts, they can probably have a, an appreciation yeah. for that scenario. <laughs> but he's <laughs> he's yeah. he, he's been fantastic because of that stretch that Ottinger was out. Uh, Dallas had a winning yeah. record with him in net, so that's the first key. The second key that remains to be seen, you know, a lot of us thought that stretch last year when Jake Ottinger had to play the. 14, 15 games out of a 17 or 18 yep. game stretch ran him into the ground and he was out of steam by the time Dallas got through that Seattle series. If depending how things progress moving forward here, you never want to see Jake Ottinger injured, but to have that entire three week period off where he was not playing games on a night in night out basis, what does that possibly provide long term? for Jake Ottinger's workload, especially because now you, you have even more trust in Scott Wedgwood, not that Peter DeBoer didn't have trust in him before, but you can go 
Scott Wedgwood every third game, every fourth game without blinking an eye. Uh, you can play the matchup card a little bit or the travel card a little bit in lining up your goaltender schedule um, with what he's done. And then just for, for me personally, on a, on a 90s kid note, the fact that he's gone Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the mask design last year and Mario Kart <laughs> this year. I mean, he has some, he, yeah. he apparently has like, a, he, he has like a Rolodex of mask ideas in his back pocket that he's thrown out there when I've chatted with him. And I'm just like, man, I hope you can stay in the league it. for the next 10 years just because I want to see all the mask designs. <laughs> so he's been, he's been phenomenal. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Uh, that is a great answer. And yes, more uh, 90s infused uh, mass designs from goaltenders all around the NHL. Yes. Uh, Brian, it's been a lot of fun. We're <laughs> up against the clock. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Enjoy the break. Uh, I'm not sure what you have planned, but uh, whatever it is, you know, I hope you enjoy yourself before we get back to the sprint, uh, to the trade deadline, and then the sprint to the playoffs. You be well. We'll check back soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jeff. Good uh, peace to you all. Thanks. There he is, the great Brian Ray. He's the uh, uh, studio host and sometimes analyst as well uh, for the Dallas Stars. Um, has his very much thumb on the pulse there. You know, one of the things that I wonder, let me just do a quick, how long do we have here with the remainder of the show? The um, Here's what I wonder about with the Dallas Stars, and it's really not just about the Dallas Stars either. If you catch my drift where I'm going here, when do they get a new arena? When do they get a new rink. You know, the American Airlines Center was built in 2001. There have been talks, you know, every now and then, oh, Dallas is going to get a new rink or, oh, Dallas is in talks for a new arena. And then it all just goes away. But those conversations never really go away, do they? Are we uh, anywhere closer to a conversation about the Dallas Stars and getting a new rink? Something just to keep in the back of your mind. Next time you watch the Dallas Stars, maybe next time you're there live, maybe watching on television, I wonder if somewhere in the not-too-distant future um, is more of a public conversation. Don't want to go too far and say announcements about the Dallas Stars getting a new rink. Anyway, just something that's, uh, that I wonder about. How about that? Put it there. Read in between the lines all you like. Thanks to Brian Ray for stopping by. Thanks to Steve Mayer. The Chief Content Officer for the NHL, Steve, thanks so much for stopping by on the show today to talk about the NHL skills competition and to talk about alligators last year. That would have been interesting. Vince Mercogliano talking to us about the New York Rangers on their break. And what's next for Chris Drury and company there and Elliot Friedman and I talked about the Flying Toasters. Bless you, Grand Rapids. Bless you. Thanks to Matt Marchese, David Sis. Thanks to Lance Kennedy and Jen Rolnick, who always make the program better. Tonight, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Only one game on the board tonight. It's quiet time. Ottawa Senators facing off against the Nashville Predators. Pre-game, 6.30 Eastern. Buck drops just after 7. We're back tomorrow.